Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas... You will be timed. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> a lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. And so much more. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl, yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Dotson Adebayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lars Watson. On this edition, when in Rome, Romelu's seven out of seven is a perfect ten for Jose. But can the former keep the latter afloat in the capital? Also, on this international break, can Germany be born again? Or should that be Bjorn again in the USA? And as Aiden Hazard announces his retirement, the question we all want to know is, what was his X factor and how did he lose it? First of all, welcome back to <laughs> On the Continent, Lars yes. Stevenson. Thank you, thank you, guys. Whoa. Great to be here again. Well, great to see you again. We've forgotten mm. what you look like. Well, much the same. Um, yeah, how, how's the book going? Uh, it's, it's finished, uh, thank yeah. God. Uh, it's coming out uh, next month, so that's very exciting. And, and what's it about? <laughs> it's about Alling Hall on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and this, I, I want to actually interject and say that because there were some tweets suggesting that there had been a falling out or something because I've not been on the continent. Let me just say that's absolutely not true. It's just that I was busy. I was writing a book, which, as it turns out, takes a bit of time. And so there had to be some scheduling changes uh, to, to, to make it work. It's going to sell loads, by the way, but mm. you don't need me to tell you that. Um, so let's talk let's, about let's the week's crossed. news. Yes, indeed. Uh, Lukaku, remember him? Romelu Lukaku. Yeah. Back where he... Belongs? On the subject of very big strikers, yeah, let's do it. Uh, no, not back where he belongs. Uh, well, actually, it's, a, it's an interesting way of phrasing it, because I think with Lukaku, what we've seen over the years, that for him to perform you know, to his capacity, to his potential, he needs to be a place where he's loved, where he's appreciated, where he's a focal point, where he's supported 
by the environment. And, and that seems to have been the case from the off at Roma. He's been embraced uh, there in a way that maybe he, he wasn't after his return to Chelsea. And you can talk about this slight difference in level between current day Serie A and, and the the Premier League. He tried to tried to succeed in with, with Chelsea, but there was something that just never seemed quite right with that union there. And uh, in this sort of environment, Roma have really pushed the boat out to get him in there. He's, he's a big, important character in that team for Mourinho. And we've just seen when when he is that focal point of a team, he, he always does better. and he's, he's looking sharp. He's looking better than he has done. Uh, so... Um, it's funny the way that turned out because I mean he was all set to go um, to go somewhere else, but then it ended up uh, it ended up in Roma, and it seems to seems to be working very well. Well, Andy, he's obviously still on loan, which is part of the mm. drama of this whole Lukaku musical chairs. But I thought his home, where he wanted to go, was Inter. It didn't work out there. Are Inter and Roma interchangeable in the minds of Romelu Lukaku? Well, to, to an extent, in that you always wanted to come back to Serie A. I think you're talking about um, him finding the place he wanted to be. I, th- I think he's, he's quite right because all he wanted was Serie A. Um, he said no to to Saudi, and he, he kept that line throughout the summer. Even when after the Inter and Juventus moves fell through, one through his choice and one not through his choice because they couldn't shift. Dusan Vlaovic in the, in, in the case of Juve. Um, it looked like there were no other routes for him. And Roma, the way they are at the moment, of course, they're, they're, they're a big club, but one uh, that are, are fettered by FFP settlement. So um, they are a club that, A, I guess you'd move to if your elite level move fell through. And B, you move to a little bit later in the summer when your club is prepared to do a little bit more of a deal than they were before. And Lukaku himself was prepared to do a little bit more of a, a deal than he did before, um, taking uh, a, a significant pay cut to, to make this move go through. But what Lars was saying there about the need of Lukaku to be loved, I thought that was really interesting, actually, Lars, because I, I think you're totally right, by the way. But I've always looked at Lukaku as well and thought, he is a player, I'm sure we've said it on here, a player where being 100% fit and 95% fit is a, is a massive difference. Mm-hmm. You know, if if he's got good diet and he's lean, um, he's, he's strong, he's, he's impossible to, to stop. Whereas this time, he's had this kind of truncated pre-season and yet he's come out of the traps really well. And he's come out of the traps really well in a team that's that's not been in great form where there have been doubts over Paolo Dybala's fitness. And if I was Lukaku, I'd be worried about that because everyone who plays with Roma gets injured sooner or later. You know, it's happened to Lorenzo Pellegrini recently. Renato Sanchez, less of a surprise perhaps in in that sense. Um, I look at Lukaku now and think, you know, if he's maybe 85, 90% fit at the moment, what is he going to be like in a couple of months' time if they can get him really, really, really fit? That's a very good point because it's also... Listen, I'm I'm extremely hesitant to dig out any professional athlete over their diet and physical shape. That that's uh, you know, <laughs> it's like firing off a, a thermonuclear weapon in a glass house. You know, it's probably not a good idea. But um, but you can just tell if you just look back at the way he moved and the physique he had uh, in the Conte times at Inter, and the player he was after a few unhappy months at Chelsea. 
just complete transformation and, and not in a positive direction. And it's so, and it makes such a big difference to him because players who, who've got a bit of size, who've got a bit of girth to them, they do also in the modern game need to be quick and sharp. Mm. And he seems to, to, to have lost that for a period. And he's not quite back to his sort of uh, Conte Inter best just yet, but he is looking sharper. And the goal return so far has been decent, and he looks like he's more in his element than he has been. Decent. Uh, <laughs> One goal per game, yeah, seven not, out of not, seven. Not bad. And we talked a lot about his physique or his shape, his, um, um, I, I suppose, his sharpness, because he has been accused of mm. carrying extra timber. Mm. Seems to answer that by, after the Cagliari match, where he got a brace, and they look very easy, the goals he scored, by the way. I'm not saying any goals are easy, but you know what football fans are like? We want to see a little bit of effort, but he just seemed to be in the right place at the right time to put it um, in the back of the net. Yeah, but and I think, that, I think that's right in terms of like having that level of confidence. Making finishes look easy is a, is a massive part of that. I think if you look at Seru Garassi in, in the Bundesliga at the moment, who's had the best start of any Bundesliga striker ever, better than Lewandowski, better than Kurt Müller, um, with, with 13 goals already. He makes every finish look look simple at the moment. You know, he, he, the, the level of confidence that he has. I think that's what it is with, with Lukaku because um, you'd think that he's, he's in a similar spot to what he was in Inter in terms of he's not firing off loads of shots out of anxiety. You know, he mm. only has a couple of efforts a game, but he's very, okay. very economical. And um, he's, he's finishing like he's someone who knows he's going to score goals. And given that there's that question mark over Dybala, and you'd always thought that there's that sort of click, there would be that click between them. And it, it looked like that early on, that the fitness of Dybala, who is obviously amazing, but made of glass, would mm. be very responsible for how... Lukaku is but it doesn't seem to be like that and it doesn't seem that the team's form is 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 that important in terms of making him fire or making him not fire there's interesting little start between him and Belotti as well but going back to that unconditional love I mean I think Roma is the place for that because Mm. Roma are a massive club that don't quite get it done again and Mm. again and again you know they're a team that's you know one one Serie A three times for goodness sakes but that's why Mourinho has got unconditional love there because he, he he brings hope. And it's the same with Lukaku, I think. You look at the reception that, that Dybala got when he signed. There's no sense mm. of, oh, hang on, don't you get injured a lot? Isn't that why Juventus are letting you go? Well, there, there, there was there was none of that. And there was no. none of the sense when Lukaku... And now he's injured. Uh, yeah, exactly. There was, there was none of that sense of when Lukaku arrived of, yeah. hang, hang about, didn't didn't you dick enter about like earlier in the window? They're not bothered about that. What what has Jose Mourinho got to do with this? Yeah. Uh, Lukaku's form. So we are so we are being very positive about this now, and that's great because it's good to see Lukaku playing good football again. But it's still been a pretty stinky start to the season by by Roma, you have to say. I mean, they they won three of the first eight, and those three wins were against Frosinone, Empoli, and Cagliari. Now. And they're all at home because yeah, this is the first significant. Well, this is yeah, the first win away. Yeah, they got Cagliari away from. Them. Yeah, so frozen on Empoli and Cagliari, they're beaten. Like without going full Shania Twain here, I'm not. I'm not doesn't fully impress me. I have to admit. But but what? And they haven't made the kind of progress in the league under Mourinho that you would hope and expect for a manager with that kind of name and that kind of pedigree. They've spent a considerable amount of money. Hence, they ended up in FFP trouble. And But part of the reason why Mourinho is popular is the European success they've had because they won the Conference League because they got to the final of the Europa League. And he has really 
I mean, whatever people think about Mourinho, and I think many things about Jose Mourinho, he has successfully been a huge part of galvanizing that fan base. Like, they're selling out the Olympico pretty much every game, and that hasn't happened for a long time. So there is an enthusiasm there, uh, which is no doubt... um, fueled by the demagoguery of the special one uh, and, uh, and and I guess that is a positive I mean if you're a Roma fan you've really enjoyed those Thursday nights and then there is a wider discussion of should Roma be aiming higher than having Thursday nights at all in Europe should they ideally be Tuesday and Wednesday nights but mm. um, hopefully that's something they can build towards but you're not seeing a ton of, of promise in that regard in the league so far I have to say so why is it that we're hearing Andy I mean this might just be gossip but nevertheless as you will know uh, the uh, grapevine was suggesting that if Lukaku hadn't given uh, Jose a hand almost it, by helping him win that game against Cagliari that Jose would have been toast for Roma. Is there any truth in that? Because Jose himself responded, but in his always enigmatic way, that there are haters out there and (laughs) anti-Mourinho haters indeed. Yeah, he, he he speaks like an Asian rapper. There's there's no doubt about it in terms of uh, identifying the haters as Gangnam style. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it's it's funny because you look at the way that he was building up to this match against Cagliari, and he said. Well, um, you know, I, I, I could have gone to, to Saudi in the summer, but I said no because I love this club and all of a sudden it's my fault. And it's like, well, hang on. I don't think those two things are necessarily linked. You know, it's that, that sort They're of... conveniently linked in this Well, case. I, I, I don't know. I think it's he's obviously a very storied coach and a very clever man. And he also specialises in a bit of intellectual dishonesty now and then. And this is mm. one of those occasions, I think. And so it's like when he came out after this Calgary game and said, oh, I haven't heard any of the reports about me uh, getting binned. It's like, well, you were directly talking about them three days ago. <laughs> I mean, uh, that is that is where we're at with Mourinho. Look, it has been an underwhelming start to the season. I do have sympathy in terms of uh, some of the injuries that, that they've had so far. Though, as I say, I think part of that is is, is due to the sort of players there that they've been signing. I think Renato Sanchez is is a good example of of, of that. I think you have to take the rough with the smooth when you get players like like that involved. But I think that's why there's this interesting uh, click between um, Mourinho and Lukaku. Of course, they have worked together before, but you know they're not they're not extremely close like Conte and Lukaku were. And of course. What Conte did with Lukaku is bring the very best form out of him ever. Now, of course, there are plenty of comparisons to be made between Conte and and Mourinho. But I think in the way that they've addressed the press, particularly in the last week, you've seen that actually, certainly for now, that the aims of Mourinho and Lukaku are are, are very aligned. So you you had the um, press conference Lukaku gave with Belgium. Um, yesterday or Wednesday, as, as, as we're recording, um, saying, "Well, if, if if people really knew what happened between me and Inter, they would be shocked." And uh, I just knew I had to knuckle down and unleash my inner LeBron James and all this sort of stuff. And again, just like Mourinho, very very smart, but yeah, likes likes to likes to pick a hill to uh, nail his opinion to. What do you think of that, Lash? Because Lukaku was also saying if you knew what happened at Chelsea over the summer, the world would be shocked. And you think that's like, it's yeah. a distraction, isn't it? When you want your centre forward yeah. to concentrate on putting the ball at the back of the wow. There he is going talking about what happened at his previous club and the previous club before that. 
Yeah, well, I, was, I can imagine there were probably some shenanigans going because they will have been pretty desperate to get him out of there. It's still on his mind, though. Yeah, well, I mean... Is that not concerning? No, but it's, I think it's understandable because uh, people... It's a strange position to be in when you are an elite footballer with the, the ego to match and you're at a club who, who really, really want you out the door. I mean, this, this is probably not very pleasant, I can imagine. And and I think there is something there about how they're both... There's probably a perception that both Mourinho and Lukaku are perhaps not or in different ways, but similarly a little bit over the hill, that their best days have, are perhaps possibly behind them. But they're both big characters and both big people who feel like they have something to prove. So you can see how there might be a meeting of the minds there this season. And it would be an interesting storyline if it could work, if they could shoot up the table. I'm just not massively impressed by the team. I mean, maybe I'm scarred. I watched them lose to Genoa not that long ago, and that was a dreadful performance. I mean, though that was odd. That was It was deeply weird to watch a Mourinho team have a ton of possession and just get counterattacked to death. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of things that have changed in the world uh, for that to be something that, that, that has happened. Okay, I'm going to do the Daily Star thing, Andy. Which is going to last the longest at Roma? Uh, Romelu Lukaku, Jose Mourinho, or the letters? <laughs> well, we, we know Lukaku is going to be there at the end of the season. We, we, we know that at least. And for the moment with Mourinho, it does seem a little bit combustible. Um, uh, you know, winning, winning at Cagliari doesn't necessarily make him safe, I don't think. Um, you know, they've got some big matches coming up. Um, none of the Europa League games are particularly testing them. They're going to get through that group easily. But, you know, as Lars was saying, until they prove that they can beat good teams domestically, I don't think this this, this question mark is, is going to go away. But in, in terms of what you were asking before about um, Lukaku and, you know, why is this still on his mind? It's because he's going to have to go through it all again next summer. Roma mm. can't afford to buy him. So, you know, if if he... If he has a really good season, he's like pricing himself out of the market for for Roma. Mm. That that's that's the issue. It's a here. Strange paradox there. Yeah. Really, yeah. Let's talk about something else that has, I'm sure, caught your eyes as much as it's caught my eye. Germany, um, the new in Germany. You <laughs> well, yeah. The well, country has caught my eye. Yeah, yeah. it's rather large. I can't miss it. Yes, superb purveyor of sausages. <laughs> Spoken like a Norwegian, yeah, obviously. Big fan of that. Let me yes, just, yeah, yes, there we go. That yes. was that's okay. a can of water I just opened there, by the way. Don't get any ideas. And the can of water is part of the mm. joke. I'm sure it is. Uh, the euphemism is lost on me, though. But Germany are attempting to be reborn under uh, Julian Nagelsmann, obviously. But they've gone to the USA to, to, to be reborn. Uh, and Andy, I know you've talked before on, on the continent about Nagelsmann probably preferring to end up uh, in the NFL than in the European football leagues. Mm. Is this anything to do with that? Is this an NFL ploy? Well, th- this, this was already in place before uh, Nagelsmann got the job. But of course, all aspects of the Germany national team are open to uh, national media criticism at, at, at the moment. And the fact that they're going off to uh, the USA to play a couple of friendlies is something that has, has not gone down brilliantly with um, a, a lot of the, the leaders of Bundesliga clubs. I think uh, a lot of them look at it and think international friendlies are assets going off and potentially getting injured. What a pain in the ass, anyway. And then when you add in the fact of them being taken off on a tour when normally they would 
do friendlies in Europe. Of course, Germany in a, a different position to their European rivals because they are um, a host nation and already qualified for, for, for Euro 2024. But it's, it's, it's something that's not gone down brilliantly with the, with the biggest clubs and um, a, a lot of media observers as well have looked at that and thought, well, is this something that's really necessary? I would argue if you take away the travelling and all that aspect of it that will freak out Dortmund, well, less so because some of their big players have been dropped, Bayern, etc., etc. Um, I think this is the potential to work out quite well because I know what you think, Lars, but obviously the biggest issue for Julian Nagelsmann is that he has a lot of things to fix with Germany and very little time in which to do it. To have some time where you can actually get away with the players, get away from Germany and all that national press nosying, uh, I, I think to have a bit of time away from the context with the players might, might actually help him and be a sort of, I don't know, express adaptation for him. Yeah, no, but I think, I think it's a really interesting test because, as we know and as we've spoken about on the pod many, many times, international management and club management, very, very different uh, jobs. And it's fascinating when you, Nagelsmann, I don't think there's any doubt that he is like a, an incredible football brain and, and very clever and, and did great work at Hoffenheim and at Leip- Leipzig and sort of shaped them into into good teams and that. But what he kind of fell down on at, at Bayern seems to have been in large part man management, that he struggled to really get the respect of that group that they looked at him and his sort of longboarding ways and thought this guy is a bit of a lightweight. <laughs> I'm not sure about this. And uh, and tactically as well, there were there were there were times where it seemed a bit muddled and, and and perhaps could have been simplified a little bit. And and that just makes me think like international management. <laughs> I mean, that's almost all man management, and it's making sort of very basic decisions. And when Germany played like their first good, properly good international game in ages. Uh, with the recent friendly against France, um, where they had Rudy Voller in temporary charge, one of the things they did was to massively simplify what they were doing and, and be more direct and more aggressive and not do anything particularly complicated tactically. Uh, and, and that seemed to generate some enthusiasm and a decent performance. And that's not typically what you associate Julian Nagelsmann in. I was reading reports today that... Uh, from kicker that they've they've been practicing playing this sort of four two 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 formation and so this sort of slightly I, I do wonder if Nagelsmann can can waltz in there and implement some of the more sort of complicated stratagems that he that he is in favor of though I think the squad he selected for this uh, trip is is very interesting there are a couple of call ups there like like Kevin Behrens being called up you know, at the age of thirty two like the sort of pretty basic sort of meat and potato striker who's thirty two years old and not a huge sort of and not, not maybe not the most flashy and exciting goal scorer in the world, but they have a scarcity of strikers, so they I guess they call them up. There's other positions where I mean they have basically no fullbacks. I mean there's a lot of problems to solve here, and I am fascinated given how things ended at Bayern if to see if if Nagelsmann is the right guy to to fix these things. Well, there, there are a lot of question marks over going to the states, and the journey is one major factor that you mentioned, Andy. But I would have thought as well there would have been a question about what can they actually learn from um, an American team or USA team. I'm not saying they can't learn things, but certainly uh, when you are in transition, you want to go and play friendlies against people that will answer some of your your transitional queries. 
So, so you mean uh, some of, some of the some of the more European teams that they will play in the Euros? You're well, not that. necessarily European teams, but that does make sense. If you if mm. your next tournament is the mm. Euros, yeah. or unless the USA team is somehow reflecting one of the teams you're going to meet in the Euros, or it's answering questions about your own frailties, or possibly, and this is this was my thinking that with Nagelsmann and his uh, love for the NFL has been more. Or as much cerebral as anything, you know, how the Americans managed to get the sort of winning mentality and so on. Uh, from what I understand, uh, is there something that they could learn there? Well, I, maybe, but I, I think this camp is more about him getting to know the players. And actually, I almost think time on the training ground is as valuable as the games here because Agreed. he's trying to figure out which players can do what he wants them to do, what sort of combinations might work. Of course, having games is useful, but I think for international coaches, time on the training ground is gold dust. You know, you you don't get a lot of it, and I think that's a very important aspect of it. And Jeremy, they're playing Turkey and Austria in November. That'll be more sort of European based, I guess. Against the USA and Mexico, I mean, I guess there are two opponents where you're expecting Germany to be able to dominate the game, which might be interesting because that's been one of their failings. They've struggled in games where they dominate possession and they, they've struggled to find the openings. I think looking at the, just looking at the squad, I almost said roster there, too much talk of American things. You're looking at the <laughs> squad, there's, there's so many fast guys here that you think in, in games where they can counterattack, they're always going to be a threat. But it's more about how they cope with the games where opponents sit deep and they have to find openings, which will happen with quite a few opponents during the Euros, you would imagine. Uh, that's something they have to work on. And yeah. you might as well work on it against the US and Mexico. The bottom line, Andy, is that Germany have only won one match in the last five. That's not a Germany that we recognise in international competitions. One one match out of the last five. Mm. And that was the last one, but when, when yeah. they'd fired Hansi Flick. And as Lars was pointing out, I think in terms of setting the table for Nagelsmann, that was, that, was, that was quite an interesting one because they went without a, in inverted commas, proper striker. Thomas mm. Muller coming back in and playing at centre-forward in that game had a, had a great game. Um, it's, I think we look at Nagelsmann in the past and say actually he would prefer to play without a, a, a proper centre-forward, a traditional mm. centre-forward. And that like Lewandowski leaving Bayern was something that he wasn't particularly against, for example. Um, and it, it didn't affect the amount of goals that the team scored, even, even if they, they lost Lewandowski in terms of, of, of presence. But I think but, bringing in Behrens, as, as you were saying, yeah, is, is, is interesting. One. Yeah, because I think there's still an understanding. and you know, Presumably, he's looked back and... He's talked about going back and looking what went wrong at Bayern and how he would mm. do things differently. Mm. And in terms of that, I mean, maybe I'm reading a little bit into it, but the the social media people who've been following Germany for for the DFB have been taking an awful lot of pictures of uh, Niklas Füllkrug. Mm. Now, look, mm. he's a great chooser of trainers. I'm not arguing mm. with that. And he looks brilliant in his button-down preppy shirt walking through Massachusetts, all that sort of stuff. But it does feel that for a player who's only just got used to international football, they've wanted to lean on Fulkrug and has got a questionable fitness record. They've wanted mm. to lean on Fulkrug quite a lot and, th and that they will going forward. Now, Behrens is maybe that that sort of backup for him, you know, maybe mm. the, mm -hmm. the, the, the other option. But I think what is interesting about the picks that he's made, I mean, you look at someone like Chris Furich, who's been in unbelievable form for Stuttgart. And if you're talking about someone to, to pick the lock, he's nearer that sort of player but the, the one that really interested me is Robert Andy mm. who I, I think it, you, you think of 
I mean, the, the thing about the full More backs, meat and potatoes, Andy. Meat and potatoes. But, but some, someone who's a leader. Someone who's yeah. a massive leader. And you look at when um, Xabi Alonso first took over Leverkusen, like this time last year, and a little bit before that, when Leverkusen were getting beat all the time. The only player who would talk to the journalists and stand up in front of the cameras after every game, Robert Andrew. And he would mm. openly analyse what was what was wrong with the team. So I, I think having someone in there who will do that ratting in midfield, but also is a strong character, I think he's massively important. And like, he can't change the mentality of that team, of that squad overnight, Nagelsmann. And so the shortcut to that is getting more characters in the team, I would have said. Mm. That's an interesting one. And I feel what I want to throw out there as well, whilst we're on the subject of Germany, because I'm kind of curious about what Andy thinks about it, is there seems to me that you have to make a decision here because you've got a group of players where you've got some real quality in some positions, right? You've got mm. like Kimmich and Goretzka in midfield. You've got like Florian Wirtz is back and looking great. Jamal Musiala is there. You know, you've got Leroy Sané. Like, come on, there's, there's so much good stuff here. But there are some positions where you've just got nothing almost. Like you, there, there's yeah. not a single right back in the squad here. There are no right backs in this squad. And the left back, the left back, Raum and Gosens are not very exhilarating sort of options on, on left back either. And again, we've spoken about it. You're relying pretty much on Fulkrug to stay fit up front, and that's not something you want to rely on. No. And you've, you've called up Kevin Behrens because he's a round peg in a round hole, I guess. But, but the big question is, and, and I guess Nagelsmann will provide us with an answer, to what extent do you play people out of position <laughs> just, to, just to fill out the team? Or to what extent do you call up guys who you look at and think these guys probably shouldn't be playing for Germany, but they're, uh, you know, if out somewhere out there there's a German right back with a pulse and, and, and he should maybe be considered for international selection at this point. Well, yeah, I don't the, know. First, the first one to pay the bill for that, I guess, is Joshua Kimmich, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. I think the most logical option for them is three at the back with Rudiger setting the tone at the back because he made a massive difference against France, obviously playing on the very border of legality, as he always does. Um, <laughs> I, I think if you're looking at, at wing-backs, you look at you look at Kimmich and you look at Gosens, that suits mm. Gosens better as, as as well. And like they've, they've tried this um, back four, and under Hansi Flick, when they were playing uh, Nico Schlotterbeck at uh, uh, left-back against Japan just because he's left-footed. I realised every left-footed player by the laws of football has to play left-back at some point in their career, but I, I don't think he should do it a second time um, because Schlotterbeck has been left out of this squad when and I accept that he's um, an absolute prince of a footballer who's got quite a few mistakes in him, but I mean, they're they're all totally accentuated when he played at fullback, and he was really thrown under the bus for giving a terrible performance against Japan when he was totally out of position. And, and now he's going to have to mm. do some some work to get himself back into that squad for the Euros. Uh, talking of which, um, the uh, Euros uh, twenty twenty eight and Euro twenty thirty two already uh, in our minds. Uh, what do you think about the decisions made there? Um, well, uh, obviously, UK and Ireland for 2028, um, we know what all the venues are. It's, it's, it's going to be pretty exciting. I think it's like having a tournament in Germany. You know the facility is going to be amazing. You know the atmospheres are, are, are going to be amazing. And, you know, it, it played a huge part in Euro 2020 as, as, as well. Um, obviously, not Ireland in the end with the COVID regulations, but certainly um, Hamden and Wembley, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
the Italy Turkey thing is is an mm. interesting combination. Um, not for me, Clive. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I mean, you, you're not needing to sell me Turkey, obviously. I, I, no, I've, but I mean, I think that's Turkey be would be great. Italy and Turkey—they're not even close. Like, what, what's, that's what's the this? point? Because with the 2028, they've clearly done their sums. They know that you know, reach, and they've sold more tickets, or at least they're allocating more tickets than ever before. It's going to be record sales there. Italy and Turkey feels like you have to decide one over the other. And I yeah, think when yeah, you for, look the, at... for 2036, we're looking at uh, Portugal, Romania, and Finland. Because why not? I mean, this sort of... I don't necessarily... Co-hosting, I think, can, can be can be fine. We've seen that before. Not but, Finland, but please. But countries that are really far away from each other. And I think, yeah, Turkey and Italy are far enough away from each other for this to be quite yeah. weird. It's, it's not it's not Poland and Ukraine. And... What have you got against the Finns? They're lovely people. Well, if, if it's a Winter World Cup, <laughs> I'll say what I've got against be a winter, the Finns. The summer in yeah. Finland is lovely, okay, I'll yeah, have you know. Yeah. I, I, I played think... a lot of beach volleyball when yeah, I was Lots there. of mosquitoes. <laughs> I think you, you you look at it and how will it be well not not how will it be perceived in an environmental sense ten years from now how will it be perceived environmentally now it's quite irresponsible isn't it and mm. it's something in terms of how they set up the, how the groups for the, um, the 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 next World Cup I, th- I think that's going to be really important because they they can't have teams like doing group matches on either side of the US or um, in, in the US and have one in Mexico or whatever. They, they, they just can't do that. They, they really can't do that, FIFA. Um, but I, I think with, with this, I think you probably have to look at the economic side of it because if you look, Turkey's economy has been tanking. Obviously, it's incredibly passionate about football, but the economy has been tanking in, in recent years and particularly in the last year or so. Um, so there's the great financial undertaking in preparing the infrastructure outside those the, the biggest stadiums outside um, Galatasaray and Bajiktas. Fenerbahce could probably do with a bit of a re-rub. And then, of course, they've, they've had to deal with the earthquake and everything after that as well. So it's always a balance between offering a country's football culture and football infrastructure a chance to re- regenerate itself and putting an unbearable financial burden on it as well. I also think, I mean, maybe it's a minor thing, but I think given how many problems there were at the Champions League final, <laughs> it's weird that immediately on the back of this, UEFA have gone, yeah, you should host a whole Euros, why not? I mean, that, it seems to be really no consequences yeah. when these things are not well organised, which seems kind of seems kind of odd. And it's it almost just, as if UEFA is the common denominator there, isn't it? If yeah, the last couple of they Champions don't League really finals, care about the Euros and yeah. all of this. Yeah, it doesn't seem to make a difference, so I guess. Yeah, Italy and Turkey, and next time, uh, Kazakhstan, uh, Georgia, Spain, and Sweden. I mean, just, I mean, I don't, I, it just doesn't make any sense. Congratulations, can, Mr. Can President. Can they at least be next to each other, the co- co-hosts, I think, would be good. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. One football news story that uh, you might have missed, actually. It might have gone under the radar. Well, not for real football fans, I guess. Not for proper, proper, hardcore football fans. The news that Aidan Hazard has retired. And I don't know. I had a mixed response to it, you know, because Mm. initially I thought, well, hasn't he retired already? That's the first thing I thought Mm. about. And then secondly, I thought, well, why did he announce this? Shouldn't he have just gone away quietly and I I don't mean that disrespectfully but his uh, glory days had long passed and I felt bad that I had that reaction because actually Andy Aidan Hazard in his glory days was something really special really special for Chelsea we know that let's start with that what did what was so special about Aidan Hazard as a footballer? What was his X factor and why didn't it work at Real Madrid? Well, I think when he turned up into into the Lille first team at 16, he looked ready already. You know, I I think that was the thing to note about Aidan Hazard. He never looked like a a kid mixing it with adults, uh, despite his, his, his stature. He was someone who commanded attention from the off, who dared to do stuff with the ball that, that others wouldn't. I think you look at the back end of that spell at, at Lille um, now after they'd um, won the double under Rudy Garcia and then stayed on after that. And I, I, I think one of the great forgotten parts of his career is the second half of that last season at Lille. And he played a lot of it as centre forward and it was just unbelievable. Absolutely Unplayable, you know, going back to the what Except Julian Nagelsmann would have liked. Yeah, what Julian Nagelsmann would have liked in a, in a, in a, mm. in a sense forward, not necessarily a traditional sense forward. I would have loved to see Prime as our under Nagelsmann, and I'm, I'm sure he would have as well. It's almost his dream sense forward, really. And, you know, you, you saw um, with the amount of goals he was able to score for Chelsea, I think. For two, maybe three of those seasons at Chelsea, he was he was probably the best player in the mm. in, in in the Premier League. But I, I guess there 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 are two sides of this with with Azar. Firstly, he came into a culture at Real Madrid which was post Cristiano Ronaldo, who was not just a dedicated trainer but an obsessive one, someone who 
just wanted to succeed at football more than anyone else. You know, that's what made Ronaldo the, the, the player he was. Eden Hazard was obviously hugely talented and still valued life with his family and a bit of time off and all that sort mm. of stuff, which is is not really a recipe to succeed the Cristiano Ronaldo era at, at Real Madrid. And on a, on a far more basic level, he was injured. And between Real Madrid and um, Belgium, they really didn't handle it well. And it shattered his form and his confidence. And, and that's what's so sad about it. But on, on the other hand, I think you have to look at the fact that he did come through at 16. You know, we got a, a decade and a half of really great football out of him. I think that's a, a, a pretty decent, a, a pretty decent eulogy. It's a good point. He he played a lot of minutes very early, and mm. um, and as someone who, like you said, enjoyed his life outside of football, wasn't you know Eden Hazard was not in the cryo chamber at midnight after a midweek game somewhere. No. I mean you know, that, that that's just not the kind of guy he was. And I suppose, I mean that can depend on your genes and your physique and whatever. But generally speaking. There is a cost to be paid for that, for, for not completely maximizing your physical capacity and doing everything you can off the pitch to be the best athlete you can be. I think the risk of your career tailing off a little bit earlier is, is higher. That only makes sense. And like Andy said, he was never he was never fit for long enough to find his feet at Real Madrid. It was just completely stop-start and, and increasingly just stop-stop. I mean, the starts weren't, weren't even there. And it was just a total mess. And you do wonder in, in hindsight whether Real Madrid as an organization with all their resources, with all their know-how, should have been able to see that whatever this guy can do on the pitch when he's fit and firing and healthy and happy, he's maybe not the right character for this football club. Is that perhaps something they should have picked up on? Yeah, I don't I don't think that's unfair at all. Um but I I think when he hit really bad injury difficulty, you you wonder did he really have the appetite to to, mm. to, to come back, I think you have to ask that question. Having said that, the way that Real Madrid and, and, and Belgium dealt with his injury issue was a bad one. So just to briefly recap, um, he had this uh, ankle fracture that wouldn't heal, so he had a plate put in it. Um, he wanted it taken out because it wasn't very comfortable. Real Madrid, for a long time, refused to let him have it out, even though Belgium said it's, it's, it's the right thing for him. Because basically, they done 100 million euros on someone who had a year left on his contract and they thought well if he's out for six to eight weeks you know that's that, that, that's something that we're we're not prepared to put up with but you know it, w- it would have been the long-term bet to to, to look after him better and I, I think that he played so many games at, <laughs> at half tilt and wasn't able to impose himself from from the beginning and then when it was eventually dealt with, you know, he was he was starting from way back in the field, if, if if you like, if you want to put it in marathon terms. I think that made it really, really difficult for him. But maybe as well, when he wasn't playing for Real Madrid, it was a little window into everything he had given up to mm. be a footballer, to, to be one of the very best. And as we said, he, he, he was one of the very best. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, because I thought it was interesting when going back to Romelu Lukaku when he was talking in his um, press conference at, um, with Belgium when he said he, he said I want to thank Eden for every, everything he did for the national team and all the rest of it he said but when I th- when I, I think about him and what he is I think about him as a man not a football player and he said he's he's, he's an exemplary 
father and his in his family mm. and, and a great family man and he showed how you could be a great family man and a great footballer and I, I thought that was really really interesting way of framing it so whereas it's often been talked of with Azar as if it's it's a big weakness that he's someone who would rather spend time with his family rather than do I don't know 5,000 sit-ups a day or whatever Lukaku looked at it and thought yeah actually that's that's a guy I respect. That's a guy I look up to for that reason. That, that mm-hmm. you can be a human being and a and a great footballer, and it's good to be a human being whilst being a great footballer. There's something missing though, isn't it? The greats, the greats. Mm-hmm. Um, you judge them by their footballing achievements. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look at Wayne Rooney, came on the field at the age of sixteen, and had a career that didn't stop in the middle as it were Mm. and Andy said perhaps it was a Freudian slip this is a eulogy whereas it shouldn't be it shouldn't be should it this should be a tribute well no but in terms of his footballing career it's over Mm. and it shouldn't be a eulogy to that it should really be a tribute we should be seeing the praise and as much as Andy's done well to sort of talk about his career Mm. up to the point where he went to Real Madrid um, well, you... Andy's added some wonderful nuance to the discussion because I think the the Madrid period and the extent to which that was a failure for for him and for the club meant that, like in the internet age, you know, the, the discourse around him will be will be maybe a little bit negative. But hopefully, a lot of people will also remember that he was an incredible player for a number of years uh, for Chelsea. And this is, of course, he's, he should have stayed there. We, shouldn't he? Really? Maybe, maybe. Everybody but, says you can't turn Real Madrid down, but in, on reflection, he should have stayed there, shouldn't he? Maybe, but the fitness issues he would have had, regardless, probably. I mean, we don't know. There's really no point. Speculating. Yeah, I don't think so. But. I think it was worth bringing up, even though we are OTC, so we've spoken more about his time at Lille and the Real Madrid thing. There was a period when he was at Chelsea, which is when the world was sort of football world was dominated by the Cristiano and Messi duopoly. And we were in this strange situation of the Premier League being probably the best league in the world, but none of the players in it was anywhere near those two. Um, I think at his... At his best, I think Eden Hazard was one of the ones, maybe the only one, who was close to that bracket at least and, and could on his day do the kind of absolutely incredible things. And I, just on a personal note, I, I went through a period a few years back, and that was during Hazard's Chelsea phase, when I was actually falling a little bit out of love with football. It was a little bit self-indulgent, but I was, I was, going, I was going through a phase of like, there's just too much in the sport that's bad at the moment, and I'm not really feeling the sort of childlike joy of watching football anymore, uh, which is a bit sad when you do it for a living. Like, you don't want to lose that 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 fire. And one of the things I did as a form of, like, self-therapy is to find the things that I still enjoy and find the bits that still makes me excited. And this is very, very specific, but the press box at Stamford Bridge is really far down towards the pitch. You're sat just behind the, the benches. So you have a really sort of low angle to the field. And I have to say, like just watching Aiden Hazard run with the ball when you're sat at that angle, so you can see just how fast he was able to move with the ball, how easily he would shrug off people. And and, and actually watching Aiden Hazard run with the ball and on over slightly wet grass, so you can and you can actually hear the steps as he sort of goes past him. That was one of the things that's like, no matter how toxic and bad the football industry is, that 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 kind of that will always get me very excited. And let's and, not forget the way that the fans reacted to him when he made those moves uh, yeah, along course. the wing, not least. Where uh, that was. Um, that was Lash's 
Henry Gibson moment <laughs> uh, when he fell out of love in football. But mm-hmm. the one nuance that we haven't discussed is remember, this guy was part of that golden generation mm-hmm. of Belgian footballers who everybody hoped, well, a lot of people hoped would do, it would deliver a tro- trophy, at least everybody in Belgium. Okay, let's put it down to that. Expecting them to deliver a trophy. And I wonder how much the burden of that, of being that part of that golden generation has uh, part of this discussion that, well, how much of that is part of this discussion? I think it will elevate his legend rather than diminish what he did over his career because, you know, he captained that team that um, came third in the 2018 World Cup and, you know, they weren't worse than France in in that semi-final. France defended impeccably, but they had to defend, really. You know, it was a very... Atletico Madrid-esque performance led by Antoine Griezmann and, and Luca Hernandez. And, you know, Belgium couldn't have got any closer to a, to a World mm-hmm. Cup in, in that in 2018. Um, it was a huge part. Him and Lukaku were a huge part of the, the, the team that knocked off Brazil and Roberto Martinez coaching brilliantly in that quarterfinal against Brazil as, as, as well. So I think you look at that Belgian golden generation and it's possibly a bit comparative with... England at the moment, you know, they, they had good enough players that they had a right to believe they were a contender for every tournament, but were they loads better than everyone else and had a right to win every tournament? No, I don't think so. You know, they had a, they had a right to be in the mix and they had the players to, to be in the mix. Now I know someone, people will probably look at it and think maybe a, a better coach would have, would have elevated them. But the, the fact is, you know, Guardiola's and Klopp's and Simeone's don't coach international teams these days. You know, that, that's that's just the way it is. They will one day. Well, so, Mr. Klopp will. Yeah, yeah, they will when they're past it. <laughs> that's, that, that's the way that international football works these days, isn't it? But look, Hazard was a huge part of that. And those guys, even the guys he grew up with, looked at him as a leader. And I don't think he can paying much of a higher compliment than that. I think it's been an excellent tribute to Eden Hazard. I feel guilty about the way I responded to the initial news. Um, And he's a legend, football legend, and I hope he enjoys the rest of his retirement. It is time, though, for both of you. You've probably forgotten about this, Lars, because it's been a while since you've been Uh here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, Andy... And I used to forget about it when I was a regular. (laughs) Imagine how hard I've forgotten about it now. Andy, I'll turn to you first. No, I have an answer. He's got an answer. Mm. I'll turn to you first then, Lars. What's your game recommendation uh, for us to enjoy this weekend? Also, food pairing to go with it, if you will. Um, well, I wanted, (laughs) I'm tempted to say Cyprus, Norway just because of it, but actually on a serious note, that group, that qualifying group has gotten real exciting just because Scotland have been just inexplicably good. I say inexplicably is the wrong word. I'm sure it can be explained, but but Scotland having five wins out of five in that group is not something anyone saw coming and it's made everything really interesting and weird. And Scotland play away to Spain tonight. And I just think that is a super interesting game uh, for, for a lot of reasons. So that is one. I mean, obviously, the, the real ones out there will be watching Cyprus versus Norway. Uh, let's let's be fair. But no, Spain versus Scotland tonight is... is one, In Spain. Is, yeah, it's one yeah. I'd pick out. Yeah. Um, and, um, God, what food would we want to go with that? Scottish haggis. No, well, really? It's not the time of the mm, year. It's not the time, not the time for that. You can eat it all year round, mate. Trust me. No. <laughs> okay, I I will trust Every you. Every day. 
I'm on a diet, Dalton. This is not sorry, haggis sorry, every day. Good sorry. lord. Um, no, let's let's head it's to the porridge for you. Let, it's haggis let, for let's, the rest of let's, us. Um, let's head to the south coast. Uh, let's head to. Uh, uh, let's head to Malaga, I think, and uh, go to uh, one of the uh, local joints there and get some uh, fresh uh, seafood just out of the water. Some uh, some bucket on us, possibly some grilled bucket on us is what we're doing. Uh, Andy, again, a, a well, do you want to start with the food pairing first? Because he's gone with something out of the water, or do you want to go with the game first? Oh no, we'll, we'll go with the game first. Okay. I, I, I think like a fish out of water. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think the, the joy of an international week is you can go for something that's a little bit later uh, because um, you, you know it's, it's, it's full international week-ish of fixtures. So oh, I'm going to go for Monday. Doing. I'm yeah. going to go for uh, Belgium versus Sweden because we've been talking about the Belgians yeah, uh, yeah. today but also uh, Sweden really teetering uh, on the brink of failure in terms of Euro 2024 qualification so big for them and a big ask for them to go and get a result in in, in Brussels as well I'm really interested what to see um, how Domenico Tedesco continues with that 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 Belgium team sort of mixed opening couple of months for him but you know they're going to qualify nice and easily here I think what better way to start a Monday morning, as my son always says to me since he's moved to secondary school, than waffles in the morning because you can get them at his school canteen now. So um, I, I think Belgian waffles, um, we're going to have to go with um, Biscoff spread as well on at least one of those waffles. Sorry, I know you're on a diet, Lars. I know this is oh, no, like, no, like bang out of order. Between me and um, you. But, but there'll, there'll, there'll be no sharing on my part, at least. <laughs> Uh, so uh, yeah that's 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 my food Perry thank you for listening to On The Continent make sure you join us again tomorrow for Ask OTC where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football On The Continent is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network 